For the past several weeks, I've been selecting uh, the prayers of biblical characters, prayers prayed in times of crisis throughout Scripture. Uh, we heard Nehemiah's prayer and Daniel's prayer. And this morning, I'd like us to take, I would like to take us to a prayer from the Apostle Paul. And this particular prayer is less a prayer in the time of crisis as it is a prayer in the time of potential crisis. So Paul has received a report from Epaphras that things are going well in Colossae, but there's a threat, there's a danger, and he wants to warn the believers about this because his, his thought is if, if this isn't addressed, it will quickly become a crisis. So this is a prevent a crisis kind of prayer. Paul identifies the threat, prays for these young Christians so that they don't fall into any trap, a trap that would place them in a crisis. I have to confess that after I read this prayer and spent a little bit of time with it, given its specific content and advice, I was a little tempted just to pass over it. And I'm sure it's because it just cut a little too close to me. And so it may just be that I'm preaching to myself this morning and letting you listen in that's very likely the case, but hopefully, you know, there's one or two of you folks that's a little like me, and you'll say, yeah, well, maybe that will help Pastor Dan, God bless him, and maybe it will help me a little bit too. So there's correction in here. Let's listen for it. This is Colossians 1, and I'm beginning uh, in the ninth verse. For this reason, since the day we heard it, this is Paul speaking, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Just a note of foreshadowing here. That phrase in verse 13 that says, the power of darkness, the dominion of darkness, that appears one other place in the New Testament. And it appears in Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prays uh, about relinquishing his will to the Father and says, uh, but now is the hour of darkness. Now is the dominion of darkness. And next Sunday, it's my intention to preach that prayer. So this sort of links to one that's coming. And Paul's talking about the insidious nature of the dominion of darkness, referencing it here. So Paul, as I said, is writing in response to a report he has received from Epaphras, who was a faithful evangelist who planted the church in Colossae. He taught the good folks there the good news of Jesus Christ. 
They responded with acceptance and warmness, and this is all excellent good news. But as you know, when any good thing happens in the spiritual realm, there's always an attack. There's always the deceiver who comes along and tries to steal what is good, to destroy and corrupt, because we know that our enemy is like a lion who prowls around trying to seek and destroy the good things that are happening. And we have to always be ready for that. We have to always recognize there is an enemy that we need to resist by the power of the Father. And so in the midst of this good thing that's happening, there's a danger. So Paul wants to both encourage, but also nip in the bud what is not so good. And so if you listen to the prayer of Paul, what is it specifically that he's praying for these new believers? And I think what we should learn here is these are the same things we should be praying for ourselves and for our family members and our friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ. If Paul's praying for the church in Colossae these things, it makes sense for us to join him in these prayers for one another. The first thing he says, he prays that they will have knowledge of his will for us. Paul wants us to know what the Father wants for us. And he wants to discern that through spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wants us to have enlightened minds by the Holy Spirit that we can be wise about and understand what God's will is. And he's not talking about, again, specific will in specific decisions. What he wants them to understand is, how is this Christian life supposed to work? What is it? What is it that this Christian life is supposed to look like? How, what's the shape of it? What is it day in and day out? How, how do Christians live out this new relationship with Jesus Christ? I think that this is a pretty important thing to consider. Now, I recognize that some of us men are a little reluctant to ask for instructions when it comes to using the objects we have purchased. I mean, why bother with instruction manuals or directions? We can, we can figure that kind of stuff out without any help, right? But I am thinking that when it comes to things like attaching a blade to a lawnmower or installing new electronic devices in your home, you ought to really read a bit to make sure you know how to do it. Because you know, the downside of a blade coming flying off your lawnmower or the electrical device shorting out all the wiring in your house could be really expensive and inconvenient. And so it makes some sense to find some direction when it's offered if the thing matters enough. You know, if you bought that table from Ikea and you don't really care how it looks when it's put together, just go for it. But if you really want like what it looked like in the store, please look at the manual. You, you, you increase your chances a good 18% if you read the manual. And so it makes some sense. But when it really matters, when putting it together the right way is really important, we want the kind of knowledge of God's will for us that will help us live life correctly in his eyes. Paul wants these early Christians to understand the nature of the Christian life. And he prays that they will have the spiritual understanding the spiritual wisdom to embrace the things he's about to outline. If you don't understand these three things, 
if you don't realize how important they are, this is what he says, there's a danger. And what is the danger he articulates in this prayer? That we won't live lives worthy of the Lord. That's specifically what he says. He wants us to know these things so that it is possible for us to live lives that are worthy of the Lord. So all of a sudden, this foundation he's going to uh, enumerate becomes very serious and important. If the not following it leads us in a place to where we can't live lives worthy of the Lord, we have trouble in our hands. There are three words Paul uses that are foundational to living lives worthy of the Lord. These words are the foundation of, of fruitfulness, he says, and they are the platform for continual growth in the knowledge of God. So what Paul's saying through this prayer is if you don't build on these foundational values, it will be difficult for you to continue to be fruitful, purposeful, or to grow in your knowledge of God. If you don't get these process pieces right, none of the rest of it's going to fit together right. It, you're going to be out of sync. You're going to be out of sorts. You're always going to be bumping elbows with everyone. It's not going to make sense. It's not going to work. It's not... You got to get the, the foundational pieces in correctly for all of the rest of it to make sense. That's the crisis. If, if you don't recognize the importance of the three things that Paul's going to pray, nothing else is going to go together correctly. That's the crisis. The life of Christ isn't going to make sense without these three things. Without these, forward progress, forward momentum is doubtful. Word one is endurance. Word two is patience. Word three is joy. Paul specifically prays for the believers, and I think that means us as well, that we will have God's power to be able to endure. Well, we're learning about enduring these days, aren't we? Uh, we've had to endure some things in recent days. Enduring means a refusal to give up, a refusal to run away, to stand face to face with affliction and hardship and difficulty and not give up. Unless you were willing to persevere and see things through to the conclusion, if you're sort of into this Christian faith and a wishy-washy, we'll see how this thing's going to go, you haven't committed to the level of productivity or fruitfulness or usefulness. And so growth is going to be really difficult. People of God must endure. The obvious implication here is that if endurance is so important, there's going to be some things to endure, right? I mean, we know that. This Christian walk is no bed of roses. Uh, we're not surprised by that news. I'm not telling you something you don't already know. Uh, we understand that sometimes things actually get a little harder for us when we come to Christ for a variety of reasons. I mean, we know there's things to endure. But we might need to be reminded that unless we actually do endure, we won't make progress in our Christian walk. We won't bear fruit in our Christian walk. And we won't live in a manner 
that is worthy of the Lord. The second word is patience. And here's where I'm starting to get in a little bit of trouble, personally. I know that I am not the most patient person in the world. I have to work to be patient. But I am wondering how many of us are willing to pray for greater patience. Yeah, I know the old joke. Don't pray for patience because God will send you frustrating circumstances in order to teach you patience. Do we really want to learn patience? Paul is saying, if you want to be fruitful, if you want to grow in your knowledge of God, if you want to walk in ways that are worthy of him, you must learn patience. And he's praying for all of the Christians to have the power of God in order to be patient. What is patience, actually? It is the capacity to accept or tolerate delays, trouble, or suffering without getting angry, upset, or lashing out. That's what's in view here. If every time things don't go the way you want them to, you get angry, upset, or lashing out, can you see how that might frustrate your ability to be fruitful in terms of the kingdom of God? Do you see how it might keep you from walking in a manner that is worthy of the Lord? Somehow, wow, we have got to develop patience. I wish there was like cliff notes to that or like shortcuts to developing patience. But I think, I think we have enough self-knowledge to know if we're not and remember, the goal of Paul is to pray for that which we lack, asking the Father to help us, right? If we know there's a deficiency, it isn't time to go to Barnes and Nobles and buy a book on self-help, how to get patience. It's to begin to tap into the power of God for the spiritual wisdom and understanding necessary to inform my life and to Use his power to become patient. And that is a matter of prayer, of continuing prayer and listening to the Father. So the, the way forward is through prayer here. Lord, help me be patient. Do you need examples of areas where you need to develop more patience? Ask your best friend or spouse they already know. Right? They can tell you where you're impatient, and um, if you really want to know, ask, and then pray. If you thought the second word was rough, how about the third word, which is joy? I have this app on my phone right now that I've been using. I think I've checked in 65 times. It is a tracing a contact tracing app for COVID-19 and it asked questions it started out innocently enough it, the first time I used it it was just do you have any symptoms did you go out what uh, social precautions did you take when you went out how are you feeling today and you answer the questions and you just submit it and it helps whoever's monitoring that to know how many people in Connecticut are feeling good today how many people are not feeling good I think there were 85,000 people who 
in yesterday who were good and about 500 who didn't feel good. That's what the app said. As I progressed, I got to the, like the 40th response, some of the questions started to expand. I thought that was sort of interesting. And so from just asking questions about your physical health, they started asking questions about your emotional health. And so the question was, how much of these feelings have you felt so far today? And there's a little slider. You could slide up to one to six, you know, sad, optimistic, anxious, lonely, grateful, hopeful, stressed, tired, calm, happy, angry. And so I'm, I'm doing that. You know, I'm sliding it. Every time I get to the stressed slider, that goes way up. Every time I get to the anxious slider, you know, we're trying to open up a school here in ways that make sense, and my slider goes way up and uh, thoughtful. I'm very thoughtful these days. Uh, how um, tired am I? I'm very tired. How calm am I? Well, not so calm. How happy am I? Well, not so happy. How optimistic am I? Not, not so optimistic. And then I, I'm looking through the list, and I'm thinking... That's an, initial, that's an interesting emotional profile, Pastor Whitney, of your life. And the level of gratitude and joy and peace that you have in Christ today. So I'm, I'm, I'm ruminating about what I'm saying to some app that I don't know, I don't know, you know, anonymous app, about myself, thinking, is that really right? Is that appropriate? Is that how things should be? And then I hit the next button, and it flashes the, the next question for me. And this is the next question. Even in the most difficult times, most people can think of one thing to be grateful for. What are you grateful for today? And I'm thinking, you're asking me that question? Come on! Did, was there some algorithm behind this app that says, like, if you're stressed and anxiety level are this high, they need to switch you into thinking about gratitude? And I'm thinking to myself, uh, why is some phone app reminding me, of all people, to be grateful? I mean, shouldn't that be basic for any Christian? But if you think about it for a second, Paul is taking us way past grateful all the way to joyful. It's not just gratitude that Paul has in mind. He, he is concerned about gratitude. He is concerned about us joyfully giving thanks to the Father. So gratitude is certainly right here in plain view. But it's beyond grateful all the way to joyful. So if there is a lack of joy in our lives, then we need to be in prayer. We need to consider that. A joyless Christian, well, that's the definition of a person in crisis. It really is. If we're joyless in whatever circumstances we are, we are in crisis. Now, I think we could admit, yeah, we are in crisis, but that the desire of God is that we be joyful and grateful in the midst of crisis. And if that's true, and I think Paul's telling us it is, it means that if I'm not joyful, I'm probably not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord that I'm probably not being productive or fruitful. Adjustments are necessary. Prayer is necessary. 
Now, I'm not saying that you have to be happy every moment of your life. I'm not meaning that. Things happen in our lives, we emotionally rise and fall, that's the human experience. But the normal background of our life should be joy. Joy in what we've received from God, joy in the promises that we have in God, joy in the optimistic hope we have of our future in Christ. Even in the middle of crises, we know we were designed for joy. And if joy is absent, then again, it's not time to go out to Barnes and Noble and buy a self-help book on how to be joyful. The absence of joy in our life functions more like a litmus test. Do you know what a litmus test is? If you had like high school chemistry, you had this little piece of paper about this big, and if you dipped it into a solution, if it was acidic, it turned one color. If it was a base, it turned the other color. I think acid was red and base was blue, but I can't remember if that's the right color way around. But that, it was litmus paper, and you put it in, this, and it told you correctly what that was. The absence or presence of joy in our life is like a litmus test that tells us whether things are moving in the right direction or things are not moving in the right direction. And if there is insufficient joy in our life, it is time to ask the Father for the spiritual wisdom and understanding to discern why. What is out of joint? What is out of place? What is not working correctly in my life that I'm experiencing this absence of joy? Because something's, not, something's disjointed if I am experiencing joy. It might be that there's just something out of focus. We may be so focused on what we want that we can't see what God desires for us or, for what, or we can't see what others need from us. That, that may be why we are joyless. We're just so self-focused on getting the things that we believe we need. Or it's possible that we are physically out of joint. I mean, if you are in significant pain, that will rob you of your joy. And it may be that part of the answer that the Spirit will reveal to you is, hey, why don't you get yourself over to the doctor and see what's wrong? Because we are physical, emotional beings, right? And the physical affects the emotional. And it may be that a doctor's uh, call is necessary. It may just be that we're experiencing a low level of love for others right now. And we know that the Holy Spirit of God is the spirit of love that is supposed to be filling us and enabling us to love others. And when we do not appropriate the love of the Holy Spirit for others, it will absolutely affect our level of joy. We don't know which of those things it is, but Paul's praying, according to the promises of Christ, that if we will seek the Father and ask, he will give us the wisdom that we need. And we'll be able to discern why we're joyless, why we're having difficulty, and then we appropriate the power of God in that area to make the changes necessary to bring our lives back in line so that we can build on firm foundations. That's the potential crisis, right? That if the foundation is stable, whatever we built on top of that is not going to be productive. We will not be fruitful. We will not walk in that are worthy of the Lord. And we want those things, don't we? I mean, we want to be fruitful and productive. We want to be walking in a way that is 
pleasing to God. And so it will require endurance. It will require patience. And it will require joy in us. So I would encourage you this morning, we're going to sing a song in about five seconds, but until we do, uh, let's engage in a little spiritual litmus test and ask the Father, how are we doing at enduring? How are we doing at patience? What's the level of joy in our life? And if there's lacking there, let's invite the Spirit to speak to us and help us to discern something out of joint? Is there a crisis pending? Uh, Lord, help us to that end. I'm not sure that any of these foundational items will be resolved with the Hail Mary Pass prayer. You know what I mean by that? Like one quickly tossed off 20-second prayer, and that's going to reform a major section of my Christian life. I tend to think that adjustments in foundation take a little bit more time. And I would encourage you, if you're sensing the Spirit saying that there's an adjustment needed, that you set aside some significant blocks of time for prayer in the next week or so to ask for spiritual wisdom and understanding and how to deal with these things. So I'm saying, get it on your calendar. Get two hours this Saturday or an hour tomorrow night or some time this afternoon that you're going to sit in quiet meditation and say to the Father, Father, what about my level of endurance? What about my patience? What about my level of joy? How, how are those things going? And then taking the time to listen to what the Father has to say uh, because this matters. This is important. We've got to get this right. Okay? Let's pray together. Gracious Jesus, it is our desire to honor you and please you in our living. It is our desire to be fruitful in terms of the kingdom of God. It is our desire, Lord, to live our lives in ways that are worthy of you. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us now. In the days ahead, Lord, Show us plainly the adjustments that need to be made. Show us if there are areas that are lacking. Help us, Lord, to avoid crises that might erupt from building on shaky foundations. Enable us to stand strong for you, we pray. We know that this will be pleasing to you. But we also know that we will have to rely on your strength, so... Empower us for these tasks, we pray. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. And now may the Spirit of God equip you with every good thing so that you may do his will. To the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.